0: Magic Podcast. We are very fortunate today to have Diatima Mantinea with us. She is a witch who has been a professional astrologer for more than 30 years. She has broad multicultural training in a wide variety of styles of magic and shamanism. Her spiritual path is rooted in the Western mystery traditions, the principles of yoga, and a profound connection with the natural world. Her passion for science led to a degree in crop and soil science, as well as graduate work in the field. We are so fortunate because she can speak to us today, not only from her science brain and her magic brain, but she can talk to us about her personal journey of weaving those together, how she did it, how it made her a stronger practitioner, and what we can do in order to make that same kind of authentic Unity in our own thinking and in our own magic. Hello, and welcome back to the Ground and Magic Podcast. I'm April
1: Thoreau. And I'm Sabrina Marie Chase. Welcome back to this episode. I got to say, I am so excited about today because today we have Diotima Matinea. I said that right, right?
2: Yes, yes, Diotima Mentanaya.
1: And I met Diotima at a conference called Sacred Space back a few months ago. And I was so excited when I walked into the room and heard you speaking, because you were speaking about something that's near and dear to my heart. And it's about how do we... Uh, how do we reconcile science and magic together? And it's been one of the things that's been kind of a lifelong journey for me because I have two science degrees and I'm a witch, and I didn't know how to like combine those two. And they had always been so separate. And my skeptic mind was rampant and telling my witchy Mm -hmm. mind how crazy I was and why are you doing this, et cetera, et cetera. So when I heard you speak, I was like, oh, you are so perfect for our podcast of Grand and Magic. So thank you for coming today. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your expertise with us. Welcome, diotima
2: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I can I can relate to um, to the science degrees and witchcraft thing. I got out of I left grad school at the University of Maryland, and about two or three years later, opened <clears throat> excuse me a little metaphysical bookstore, mm-hmm. and um, that was when I really started wrestling with. Science and magic. I'd been studying astrology since 1969, and then I started studying science seriously uh, in in college and grad school in 1975, and then I became a witch. In I mean, I I discovered my <laughs> my internal witch, and joined a coven in uh, in 86, and then opened my store in 89, and. By the time I sold the store back in, I guess it was 96, yeah, I I had had seven years of struggling with it and being able to read just about any book I wanted to because I owned a bookstore and talking to a lot of really interesting people who came into the store. But it was still a, a process, you know, and I really didn't feel that I had gotten that process complete in my own head and heart until about the past decade or so, and that's when I started writing Touch the Earth, Kiss the Sky, because I knew I wasn't the only person out there who who had this uh, conflict between science and magic, because really we all do, even if we don't have science degrees, because we live in a very scientific materialistic uh, culture. And by materialistic, I mean philosophical materialism, scientific materialism, not just um, let me go on the shopping network. But that that is something that we all deal with, that we all live with, that if we become witches or magicians of any kind, there are going to be not only people telling us we're crazy even if we keep our mouths shut and don't tell anyone and stay completely in the closet there's also a thought form a zeitgeist of of thought where we we, we know what people would think even if if they did know what we were doing so i think it's important to um align ourselves internally as witches and magicians, and and really get comfortable with the fact that we are going against the grain here in a big way.
0: Absolutely. how did you come to your your authentic pathway? To you, you started to tell us the story of your process, but I'd like a little more detail of how internally you began to align yourself in this way and weave the pieces together in a way that worked authentically authentically for you.
2: Well, the first thing I had to do, first of all, I was I was familiar with magic going into. My studies of science because I had been studying astrology, and <clears throat> you can't study astrology without learning a little bit about magic and the four elements and all of that. But then, of course, I got to school, and it took me a long. I, I worked my way through school, so it took me a while. And when I got to school, I the. The pushback against astrology was amazing, and you can't be a scientist and be an astrologer. And so, I packed all of my books away. And so, for about the next eight years or so, I, I kind of ignored my astrology. <clears throat> and then I got into grad school, And I was going through some stuff, and I remembered, you know, astrology can be helpful in situations like this, and besides which, let me look at the transits because, my God, when is this mess going to end? So I pulled out all of my astrology books, and it occurred to me then that astrology works. There's just no denying that, and it works not just for me, but for a lot of very intelligent people, and it's a complex topic. It's not the simplified, oh, well, if you have your son in Aries, that means this. And I realized that for me to deny my own experience was not the scientific thing to do. So, I pulled out those astrology books and started working with astrology again. And I realized that I had two, two things I had to deal with here. First of all, I needed to look at it from an intellectual point of view, excuse me. <coughs> and intellectually, that meant looking, for, looking at, at science from a completely different perspective. And the perspective I found, and I it's not like I ran across it and immediately said, oh, this is the solution. I started by reading a lot of books on on science and a lot of different books on um, for instance, uh quantum mechanics. I took I, I actually took classes in for lay people in quantum mechanics and Started thinking, well, what about if if this then? What if this then? And just started working through it intellectually for myself. And finally, what I, what I, the, the conclusion I came to is what I can now point to as being philosophical idealism, which is not the same thing as, oh, you know, let's all go find a utopia and live there that's not the kind of idealism i'm talking about philosophical idealism says that consciousness is the ground of reality and that <clears throat> and that the material world is created from consciousness. Now, this is a really difficult idea for most people to wrap their minds around understandably, and I didn't have all that easy uh, uh, time of it either, because you have to think, well, how can there be something that is not material? Because if you're thinking in terms of consciousness creates material reality, obviously consciousness cannot be material, because you can't you can't create something if you have been created by what you're trying to create so <clears throat> it just doesn't make any sense that you know that that god as as most people would call the creator is in created material reality from material reality? I mean, that just doesn't make any sense at all. But this whole concept of wrapping our minds around material reality not being the only reality there is is pretty difficult. So the next part of a a very important part of my process was looking at magic, at uh, um, precognition, particularly for, for me through tarot, um, and at near-death experiences and uh, reincarnation. So the, one of the first things that happened bef- before I even opened my store, after I um, joined my coven, and I was working with magic, and I was starting to realize, well, wow, magic really works. This is, this is hell, this is scary. <laughs> and then I got a tarot reading <clears throat> from a woman who, eventually became my tarot teacher. She was pretty amazing. She, About once or twice a week, she would go to her local pub and sit down at a table and do tarot readings. And she was always swamped because she was unbelievably accurate. And people would come... I mean, once I started studying with her, she'd bring me in and let me sit in with her while she did these readings. And people would come up to her in various... Iterations of sobriety, but they would come up to her and say, How did you do that? How did you know this was going to happen? How did you know that this woman was going to walk into my office carrying a purple file folder and tell me this, that, and the other thing? I mean, she got really specific. And she did a reading for me that said, You are going to open a business uh, with a man that you haven't met yet. And She described him. Unfortunately, it was tall, dark, and handsome, and he was. But you know, that kind of like made me roll my eyes and go, "Yeah, right." And then I said, "Um, "Well, what does he do?" She pulled a card and looked at it, and she said, "He's a builder." And yeah, that's exactly what happened. I met a man, and he wanted to open a metaphysical bookstore. He was a contractor. And so, we opened it together uh, a couple of years later, and then I bought him out a couple of years after that and ran it myself, and that was when I ran into the concept of reincarnation and a lot of the work that had been done by people like Ian Stevenson uh, by collecting stories from children who say, well, I lived this life, see, and I died because I was electrocuted when I was trying to fix the toaster. You know, I'm just making this up, but mm-hmm. when I was trying to fix the toaster, and my wife's name was Cynthia, and um, and I did this, that, and the and the other thing. A lot of these, because reincarnation is is much more commonly accepted in India a lot of these stories that were checkable were were in India. And there was just no way that these people could know about people who lived in completely different cities, completely different villages. And when they checked these children's stories out, they were absolutely accurate. And I thought, man, that is just, I mean, I'd studied statistics and the odds against all of this accumulating data was was just like
0: out of this world it sounds to me like you are telling us the story of how you moved from scientific exploration into validating aspects of knowledge, of knowing that could not possibly have been known to the people themselves and that this validation convinced you that there must be some power, some validity, some logic behind it, even if you did not know what that was, is that what you're telling us? Exactly, and it also
2: made clear to me <clears throat> that consciousness in some way survives death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you wouldn't have these memories of past lives. So consciousness cannot be lodged, not only can it not be lodged in the brain, it can't be lodged in the body. So over time, I came to realize, and and I really didn't have trouble um, with this concept of of consciousness as something bigger than bigger than we are bigger than physical reality because I had been fascinated by uh, by religion and all of that since I was nine years old
1: oh it's so great I just I see so many parallels with my journey too. my journey I kind of I got my science brain wrapped around it in the kind of neuroscientific world. Um, I used to be a midwife. And so I, you know, the hormones of... Of serotonin and oxytocin and dopamine and how they work neurobiologically Mm -hmm. in the brain and how it activates the reticular activating system. And how, you know, you talk to any woman who's given birth and they will tell you things that people said on the day of the birth. They will remember smells, they'll remember like all of these things. And that's because of the amazing concoction of hormones that happen during birth and the neuroscience around it and everything. And then I realized, oh, that's what we're doing in magic. Like it's like we're aligning all Mm -hmm. of, like we're, we're getting into a trance state or for myself, I use sex Mm -hmm. magic. So, you know, sex is a great way to get your oxytocin, serotonin, dopamine levels pretty high. And so when you're focusing on an intention in that state, you're automatically actually programming your brain to look for those opportunities to start looking that way, like reticular activating system. And all of that, I got through the whole midwifery world. And I was like, Oh, that's how it works. So, It's, it's, um, this is, I I love how the scientific brain was what actually got you over the bridge to go, oh, and once I got that, you're right, my magic, I feel is like take it off, like it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, producing much more, like bigger results and like more concrete in the real world kind of things and, and using it to do good in the world, which is really great. Yeah. And because, you know,
2: you can't, if you've studied science, you can't turn your back on it. Yeah. You can question it you can um, you can argue with scientists, you can argue with some of the conclusions but you can't say this is nonsense. You mm-hmm. have to figure out how some possible way that magic works scientifically but it's it's also important to remember and I I bring this up in, a, in an article I have on my website. Um, called you don't really believe in astrology do you and in there i quote um carl sagan who you probably don't remember this but i do because back in 1975 1976 there was a full page ad taken out by a bunch of scientists in the new york times mind you tackling astrology saying astrology is nonsense, you shouldn't believe in it um you know and and we, the the high priests of science tell you this. Carl Sagan refused to sign it and he refused to sign it for two reasons, one of which was that um, it was just too dictatorial and too we know it all. I, I don't remember exactly how he put it, but anyway, he didn't like the tone. He was definitely tone policing there. But he also said that they were asking for a, um, they were asking for a, excuse me, computer's doing something weird here. Um, They were asking for a method. They were asking for a methodology. How can astrology work? You have to explain to me how astrology Nothing that we know can explains how astrology can work. Therefore, it can't work. And Sagan pointed out that is not the scientific way of approaching this. You cannot demand it's it's the sciences scientists who have to figure out the mechanism, but you cannot demand a mechanism. You cannot demand a mechanism, because, and and he used as an example um, a guy by the name of Wegener, a scientist. I don't know if you realize this or not, but the science of plate tectonics which is pretty standard stuff right now, was not accepted until the 1960s. And the scientist, Wegener, who uh, first proposed the concept of plate tectonics or the, the concepts behind plate tectonics, was pretty much driven out of the scientific field because all of the great high priests of science and geologists at the time said, this isn't possible. These continents can't move. There's no mechanism for allowing continents. To move. But of course, they hadn't yet discovered what I think Sagan referred to as the great heat engine at the center of the earth that started, that that kept things moving. They hadn't discovered that yet. So, demanding a mechanism was the wrong thing to do because the mechanism was there. Wagoner was right. And the fact that he didn't have a mechanism didn't change the fact that he was right. Mm. He had reasons for believing he was right. So, so, yeah,
1: it's so. And what we're learning now is like there's a whole neural network in the gut that actually acts as a second brain, and they're just discovering that now. And it's like, oh, maybe there is a whole – like maybe the gut does know things that our brain doesn't know. Well, hello. So yeah, And there's really a whole hard. network of, of fungi in the world
2: too because, you know, I ended up being an animist. Mm-hmm. And I just – and and I was sort of naturally an animist from the time I was a child. You know, I always won the nature award at camp and stuff like that. And an animist, of course, believes that every atom and molecule, everything in this world, has some form of consciousness. Now, I don't necessarily believe that everything, every atom and molecule, is sentient in the way that, in in the sense of sent. To me, consciousness means you are aware. Sentience means you can change your consciousness. Mm-hmm and so i believe that everything can t- is is made is created from consciousness it contains consciousness and a lot of it is sentient and you can communicate with it animals plants rocks streams mountains there are spirits who live in the mountains who are who are the stream who are the trees the spirit of the trees trees are very easy to talk to uh, and i've been talking to them for even longer than i've been a witch but the 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 whole concept of of animism means that you are interacting with a living world and if you're interacting with a living world that changes the way you do magic as well so animism and and working in that animistic mindset also affected my approach towards my magic and and towards science.
0: um, So this reminds me of of a, a wonderful thing that Caroline Kenner told me once. I was very fortunate to study with her, and this really struck me because she said it so articulately. She said, you've got to get over the belief that you have to have a central nervous system to have a form of consciousness. And I thought exactly. that's brilliant.
2: Caroline is a dear old friend of mine, and we've had we've had had many conversations. And she is extraordinarily articulate, and that's a very good way of putting it.
1: So great. One of the questions we usually start our podcast off with, but we went in a lovely direction, so I didn't want to stop it. Is and I hope okay. it's a perfect time to bring it up. Is what is magic to you? What do you see like? How do you define what magic is? It's how we
2: how how we consciously create reality yeah. and i i believe that and people have this uh you know this is not the secret this is not the law of attraction kind of clutch your crystals and wave your wand and grit your teeth and the red mercedes will be in your driveway tomorrow morning kind of reality creation but i believe that consciousness creates reality we are part of that consciousness. Therefore, we are part of the creation of reality, which is not to say that we can, you know, again, wave our magic wand like a Disney princess and 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 change everything. But we do have we do have agency in this world. And in the same way that we have a certain amount of agency from a very materialistic perspective, you can decide whether or not you're going to brush your teeth in the morning, for instance. You can decide, you know, what you're going to eat. Um, <clears throat> you can quit your job or you can stick with it. We have all kinds, of, we, we make decisions, we make choices, and, and those um, those are how we contribute to creating our reality, and of course, there are outside influences that also contribute to creating our reality. Everything from um, where we live, who our neighbors are, to who's sitting in the White House, to who's sitting in the Kremlin, you know, all of this has some effect, some influence on the reality that we experience. And I believe the same thing is true with magic. Magic is an influence on reality and it's an it it is a way of influencing reality that uses that that goes back to the core of what creates reality which is consciousness so if we use our own consciousness to manipulate reality that really isn't all that different from using our own Physical reality in that we decide what we're going to wear in the morning, and that maybe you know maybe when when we decide what we're going to wear to work, somebody looks at our outfit and and that maybe triggers something in their brain that's good or not good or or whatever. So magic is an influence, but magic is also a way of training your brain to utilize consciousness more effectively, to utilize the type of, to to utilize the sort of consciousness that creates reality in a more effective way.
1: Question for you okay. is if there are people, our listeners out there, some of them may be, you know, really wrestling with this magic versus science. What are like practical things that they could do to help them come to that, to that peacefulness that you have found of, you mm. know, integrating the two of them? What What can our listeners do to kind of put that fight to bed in their minds?
2: Well, I have an exercise that I recommend to people to help understand, to help see what your subconscious is feeding you on a daily basis, what your underlying beliefs are about reality, some of which are conflicting. Like, well, I believe I'm I'm a scientist and therefore I believe that material reality is it, but also I'm a witch and therefore I believe that there's this thing called magic. So we really need to start excavating our minds to understand the thoughts that our subconscious feeds us, that are beliefs that we picked up as children or along the way in our lives that are holding us back. And so what I suggest is first of all you set um consider s- your your usual day and figure out at what point um, you have maybe five minutes to do a little meditative work. And then what you do is you set an alarm, maybe on your phone or something, for those particular times. And sure, sometimes you're not gonna be able to do it, but Let's say that that you set your alarm for noon, the alarm goes off at noon, and the first thing you do is go, what am I thinking? And you pay, "What what was I just thinking the moment before that alarm went off? And then you work your way backwards. You have to start paying attention to your mind and learning how your mind works. What was I thinking before that? What was I thinking before that? And it's going to be something simple. It's it, Most of the time it's going to be, damn, the traffic just keeps getting worse around here. And then before that, I really need to get to the store before I get home because I'm running out of cat food. And before that, it's, I wish my coworker hadn't delayed me because I would have been able to avoid this traffic. And before that, it might have been, I'm such an idiot for letting him do that. And that's the key. That's the one you want to stop at. That's the one where you want to go, "Boy, that's not a healthy thought. That's not the kind of thing I want to be thinking." So, why do I think that? Do I know I'm not an idiot? I'm not an idiot at all. I just obviously need to, cons- you know, to think about setting some boundaries. And you write this down. You, a little notebook, just one of those tiny little <clears throat> notebooks that you can carry in a purse or pocket. And you write that down and maybe later at night or in the morning or if you have a meditation practice, during your meditation practice, you can go a little deeper with that thought mm-hmm. because eventually the thoughts are going to come up that are damaging. Sometimes you'll be in an absolute rage, for instance. I mean, that's that's a possibility. And then that, it's, it's a really good thing to think, well, what set me off? And then you can you can write that down sometimes you're not going to be able to think about it or dig a little deeper until you've calmed down a bit until you have a little more time until you're in a meditative state or whatever but i think this this exercise of setting your alarm maybe for maybe for three or four times a day this happens you the alarm goes off what am i thinking what was i thinking keep working backwards because that makes you more self-aware keep paying attention to what your thoughts were and trying to work backwards. And then waiting until you hit that one thought that's like, oh, do I really want to have that thought? And then you start, you write, you write these things down. And over time, you really start to get a a grasp of some of the beliefs that you need to change some of the emotional karmic knots that are within you that need to be unknotted and then you can set about unknotting them and changing the beliefs and using magic to change beliefs which which certainly can be done so
1: you are clearly a kindred uh, spirit
2: Diatima. (laughs) <laughs> Diatima, thank you so dear, much. Dear yeah, yeah,
1: definitely yeah. a kindred spirit. You work in very similar ways to us as well of really unearthing all of those things and getting yourself back to a place of magic and a place of alignment and being able to like make a difference in your own conscious reality. So, thank mm-hmm. you so much for joining us today. It was so great to have you. It here It was a
2: pleasure. I love talking with people about this sort of thing, and it was it was great to chat with you. And thank you so much for inviting me. You're so welcome. Any last
0: thoughts, Sabrina? I deeply appreciate the way that you picked apart both your own journey and gave us an example and then gave us a pragmatic example of what we could do and also wrapped in some ideas about scientific revolution and the edges of what's accepted and how what might be a scientific truth now may not hold up later. Later, we may have more information. So you actually told us many useful things. Thank you so much. Oh, good. I'm glad it was helpful. Thank
1: you. Awesome. And for you listeners out there, I hope you got some good value out of this today and everything that Diotima has to say. And uh, we'll see you next time on the Ground and Magic Podcast now go and take that magic into your day. If you really liked our podcast and don't want to miss another episode, please subscribe and or follow. This allows others to find us more easily and the magic will be multiplied. And we all want more magic in the
0: world. You can also help others find us by rating us and leaving a stellar review. The Grounded Magic Podcast is powered by Indigo Fires Productions. Sound engineered by Eric Tarot of Tarot Studios. Music composed and performed by Eric Tarot. Online business management by Natalie Gallagher of IOMI Digital. Founded by April Tarot and Sabrina Marie Chase.